0: Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening, dear friends in Christ Jesus. As all of us know, it's raining outside tonight and I'm sure that it was quite a temptation, wasn't it, as to whether to come to church or whether to stay home. It wouldn't have taken very much on the part of many of us, would it? to have argued ourselves into saying, well, the weather is bad, it's raining, it would be best to stay home. But somehow or other, in your soul and mind, there was a call, wasn't there? And we felt like we should come into God's sanctuary this evening. This is the Lenten season. This is the time when we would like to spend just a little more time with our Lord, especially in thinking about his sufferings and his death. We've come here, and this is our fourth Lenten vest for service, as you know. And in this 40-day period, what we have been attempting to do is to go to Calvary, take a look at our Lord and Savior, and in the story of his sufferings and death, to pick out some of the questions that were asked, those questions that have a way of disturbing you and me, of upsetting us, of troubling us, in no small way. You recall that on Ash Wednesday night we dealt with this question. The ones that the disciples asked Jesus when he said to them that night in the upper room, he said, one of you will betray me. And they said, Lord, is it I? Surely, Lord, it isn't I. And when we ask ourselves that question and ask it of the Lord, it bothered us, didn't it? And then we followed Jesus from the upper room We crossed the brook Kedron with him. We went to the Garden of Gethsemane. and There when Peter, James, and John were supposed to watch with him and he prayed so fervently and he came back to those three men and each time he found them asleep, we remember that he said to them, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Couldn't you stay awake just one hour? And they were tired, even as you and I are tired tonight to be sure. And that question bothered us as we looked at it. And then came last Wednesday night and we saw Jesus at the garden gate and Judas had come, and Judas had planted the kiss on his face, and the apostle Peter had drawn the sword, and he had stricken off the ear of Malchus, one of the high priest's servants. And we recalled that Jesus told him to put the sword back into the scabbard, Peter, oh, we don't want any more of that. And then Jesus said to him, How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And last Wednesday night you know we thought about that question that rather bothered us too about what must be in the scriptures well as we carry on our story this evening Jesus was bound and they took him then from the garden of Gethsemane they retraced their steps and they went to the palace of the high priest and first he was taken to Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas Just as Judas had gone to the temple to get some police to go with him because he had told them, I know where we can find him. Uh, So at that time, the men who belonged to the Sanhedrin were alerted late that night to come together that Jesus was going to be arrested. And so in order to stall for time, that Caiaphas might get the Sanhedrin, which was made up of 70 men of the chief leaders and the elders and the scribes of the people uh, in order to again give them a chance they first took Jesus to Annas and there was a little preliminary hearing before him who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Annas, you remember, asked Jesus about his disciples, and he asked him about his doctrine. What have you been teaching? What kind of followers do you have? And you recall that Jesus said to Annas that night, he said, uh, what I have spoken, I have spoken openly in the temple and in the synagogue. I said, nothing in secret. He said, why don't you ask those who heard me? And then it was, you know, that one of the servants slapped Jesus in the face, and he said, do you answer the high priest so? Jesus responded by saying if I have spoken wrongfully he said then bear witness but if I have spoken rightly he said why do you strike me well by that time enough of the Sanhedrin had gathered and then they brought Jesus to Caiaphas who was the high priest we ought to bear in mind tonight that when Jesus stood before Caiaphas he was standing before the man that represented the church of his day he was being tried by the church Caiaphas was the high priest and the members of that tribunal 70 of them they represented the church this was a serious trial to be sure and the sad factor is that almost a year before this night Caiaphas had gotten together many of the members of the senate and they had already decided about a year previously that they were going to put him to death. So this was a sham trial. It was simply a matter to try to make it look real and legal and to try to make it look right. So immediately Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin. And then Caiaphas called false witnesses and they were to testify against Jesus. And we are told that he didn't do very well that way. And finally he found two who got up and they said they heard this man referring to Jesus. They heard him say that he would destroy the temple of God and he would build it again in three days. And even their testimony didn't agree. And we know that Jesus never said anything like that. He was talking about the temple of his body and he had said, you've destroyed this temple, meaning his body, and he would raise it up in three days. Well, then it was that... Jesus didn't answer to those charges, and that enraged Caiaphas very much. And so then it was that Caiaphas turned to him and he said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And then it was that Jesus answered and he said, I am, as you say, I am the Christ the son of God and then Caiaphas you know put on a big show and he tore his robe as though he were outraged by such a statement and he was shocked and horrified and he shouted he said blasphemy this man has spoken blasphemy he has spoken evil against God what further need do we have of witnesses and what shall we do and then the church that night the Sanderton they shouted this man must be put to death And the question we want to look at this evening, if we can just relax and forget our cares and our troubles of the day, is that question that Caiaphas, the high priest, the head of the church, asked Jesus. He said to him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? When we look at that question tonight, that's a very disturbing question, folks. That's one that upsets you and it upsets me because it was asked by a churchman that night and it's rather strange that question is still being asked in the church today and the amazing thing is that troubles me and I know it troubles many of you that is the answers that are given to that question here are some of the troublesome questions that arise from this main one art thou the Christ The Son of God or the Son of the Blessed? When we look at that question tonight, it causes us to be quite disturbed and to be troubled because considering it, we say this to ourselves, and I ask this question, and I'm sure you've asked it many a time. Was Jesus really deity? Was he really the Son of God? How about it? We look at the church today and we say, what does the church today say with regard to that? When you ask the church, was Jesus deity? Was he God? Was Jesus of Nazareth God himself, deity, the Son of God? And this is why it's so disturbing. There isn't an answer of unanimity from the church today. Even as, again, there was a tremendous negative answer from the church that night at his trial. There are those in the church that say, yes, he was God. Yes, he was deity. And there are those in the church speaking with seeming authority who are saying today, no, he was not God. He was not deity. That's what bothers me very much today as a minister in the church, and I know it bothers many of you. Was Jesus of Nazareth deity? Was he God? These miracles that again he performed, did he perform them? Did they actually happen? Did he really heal the sick? and the maimed and the halt and the blind? Did he really heal the lepers? Did he calm the tempest? Did he raise the dead? And again, when we ask the church, whether you know it or not, there are those in the church that say, yes, those miracles were actual historical occurrences. And then there are voices in the Christian church today that are saying, no, they didn't really happen. That was just a mode of expression in Jesus' day. Uh, These were sort of fairy tales. These were were myths. Uh, These were uh, just simply little illustrations, as you were, in order to bolster up his deity. And this is the thing that is troubling the church today. Was he God? Was Jesus God the Son? If you've ever noticed in my preaching, I... Sometimes say he was the son of God, and then I put it this way: God the Son. You see, there are some in the church today that say he wasn't deity, but he was the son of God, meaning that he was divine. But there was the spark of the divine in him, even as there is a spark of the divine in you and me, made in the image of God. And that, in the sense that all of us are sons of God, there are those in the church today who are saying, in that sense. He was divine. He was a son of God, even as you and I are. But when Caiaphas asked that question that night, he wasn't saying, are you a son of God, even as others? He was asking him, are you God the Son? Are you deity? Are you God, a very God? That was the question. And because in the church, in our 20th century, there are those who say, yes, He was God, the second person of the Trinity. He was God who had come into this world and who had become a human being, born of the Virgin Mary without sin, that he had taken unto himself a human body and a human soul, that he was one person, but that he was divine, he was deity as well as man, but again in the church. And this is the disturbing thing. There are those who deny his deity. This bothers me no end. I can imagine what it means to lay people when you turn to the church and you expect a positive message. And may I say in all humility, you get that positive message here, but you don't get it from every pulpit in the Christian church because the church is disturbed. And then it leads to this disturbing question, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed, This one disturbs and upsets. Was Christ really the Christ? Was Jesus really the Messiah? This question of Caiaphas was a double-barreled question. He asked, are you the Christ, the Son of God or the Son of the Blessed? You may say, what did he mean by the Christ? I tell my children in catechism that the boys and girls that played with Jesus called him Jesus. That was his name, just as you have a name and I have a name. This name Christ was a title. This name Christ is the Greek Christos and in the Hebrew it's Messiah. Christ and Messiah means the promised one or the promised Savior. In other words, what Caiaphas asked him that night was this. Are you the promised Savior that was to come? Are you the one that God promised back in the Garden of Eden? When God promised to Adam and Eve, our first parents, uh, that from Eve, the seed of the woman would come who would crush Satan. This was the question. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? Are you the promised Messiah? Are you again the Lord God of Shem? Are you again, as Isaac said to Jacob, and Jacob again referred it to his son Judah, When Judah again received the firstborn blessing, even though he wasn't the firstborn, and Jacob said, again, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Was Jesus Shiloh the peace bringer? Was he the promised Savior, promised in the Old Testament? This is the thing that bothers, doesn't it? And this is what Caiaphas was asking him. Are you the Christ? Are you the one that should come? Are you the anointed one? Are you the promised Savior? Well, was he? Well, you look in the church today, it's rather unusual. There are those in the church that say, yes, he was the promised Messiah beyond doubt and beyond question. But there are also those in the church This is what disturbs. You don't get a ringing, clear, unified voice. There are those in the church that are saying, what difference does it make? What difference does it make whether he was the promised Messiah? We are being told in the church today that the important thing is not the Messiah, the Savior, not life and salvation, but the important thing today is, is that we are to go out and we are to love one another. We are to go out. This is the social gospel. We are to go out and to right the wrongs among men. And that, again, we shall play in, again, the church. We shall play that part as the great thing and the second fiddle becomes this. Whether Jesus was the Messiah or not, that really doesn't make much difference. And that disturbs me No, end, because it comes down to this. What are we preachers supposed to preach about? What is the main theme of the Church of Jesus Christ? Was Jesus the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, or was he not? The Church doesn't have unanimity on that question today. Then when we look at his own people his own race who are so certain that he wasn't the messiah who are sure of themselves that he wasn't in spite of what the old testament says that messiah was to be a suffering servant as isaiah revealed we may say to ourselves how upsetting how disturbing is this question as regards jesus christ and yet that night here was the church Caiaphas representing the high tribunal of the church of that day questioning him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of God, or the Son of the Blessed? It bothers because 2,000 years later, we're still asking the question, and the Christian church hasn't made up its mind. Well, that brings another disturbing question on this. That says, Did Jesus believe that he was deity? Well, in answer to that question, I like to remind people of this. When he stood before the church that night and Caiaphas asked him the question, the answer of Jesus was, when Caiaphas says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus says, I am. I am just as you say. I am the Son of God. What did he mean? Did Jesus believe that he performed the miracles that he performed can you imagine Jesus being so deluded that he thought that he had stilled the tempest and that he hadn't? Can you and I imagine anything more ridiculous than to have Jesus say to the leper, you're cleansed, and that he wasn't cleansed, but that Jesus thought he was can you and I imagine him raising the daughter of Jairus or the young man at Nain or Lazarus or at least saying to them arise and that they didn't arise and that he believed it? What kind of a Christ do some people have in the church? This I do know, that Jesus certainly beyond the shadow of a doubt believed that he was God the Son, that he'd come out of heaven. When he talked to Nicodemus that night, he told Nicodemus that the only begotten of the Father, which is in the bosom of the Father, who had come into the world, revealed him, and he was talking about himself. There was no doubt, as you and I turn to Scripture, there is no doubt, no question, but that Jesus himself had this conviction. I am God the Son. I am the eternal God equal in essence with my Father, and I am the one who existed from everlasting and will exist to everlasting. I am that God who came into the world. And yet it's strange that there are those in the church who feel that Jesus wasn't sure who he was. What could be plainer? This is what happens in the church. And this is what disturbs us when you go away from what the Scriptures say and you no longer let them mean what they say. Then this brings another disturbing question Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Beats me to ask this one, and this bothers. Did Jesus believe that He was the Messiah? Did He believe that He was? What about Him? When he stood before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas said to him, Are you the Christ? Tell us. When Jesus said, I am, just as you said, I am, I am the promised Messiah, could there be any doubt whatsoever in your mind and mind but that here was a conviction of Jesus of Nazareth uh, that he certainly believed that he was the promised Messiah? who had been promised in the 4,000 years of the Old Testament, why the very fact that he was allowing himself to stand there, the very fact that he was giving himself to go to the cross, the very fact that in Gethsemane he had surrendered to the will of his Heavenly Father, how could any man by the stretch of his imagination ever come up with any idea that Jesus wasn't convinced that he was the messiah but there are those in the church today who say if he was convinced he was deluded he he meant well but he he really wasn't the messiah and again what do we need with a messiah the church today doesn't have to be interested in a man's eternal destiny But people don't want to hear that anymore. People aren't interested in that gospel. That's for a bygone day. People want to hear about action, about loving our neighbor, about righting the wrongs that exist in society today. And no wonder we get confused. And no wonder we say to ourselves, what should a person believe? Here we are living for a while and we die and we face eternity. What do you believe about this Jesus of Nazareth? This question is a tremendously disturbing one because it's disturbing the church today. It shouldn't, but it is. Art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? Caiaphas says, are you? We may say, well, this is a disturbing thing. Did Jesus realize that he was under oath? You know, we talk about oaths. We talk about taking an oath and calling upon God to bear witness of the truth. There's no doubt about it. Jesus knew that he was under oath. And you may say, how did he know it? Why, for the very reason that when the false witnesses got up and lied about him and they said, this man said that he was going to destroy the temple, and of course that was sacrilege. Anybody that spoke against the Jewish temple to the Jew deserved to be killed, And Jesus knew that they knew that he wasn't talking about the temple building. He knew that they knew that he was talking. He had said, destroy this temple, this body. He knew that they were lying, and he knew that they knew that they were lying. And the answer then was nothing. He kept his peace. A tremendous answer, in other words, silence, was the best answer to a lie like that. And Caiaphas knew it. And then what does Caiaphas do? In other words, Caiaphas says, I'll get him to talk. If he's going to answer with silence, I'll make him talk. I'll put him under oath. And that's what Caiaphas did. And then he turns and said, I adjure thee by the living God. I ask you to swear in the name of the living God. Are you the Christ, the Son of God, or are you not? Jesus was under oath. In other words, Caiaphas says, swear before the living God. Whenever we take an oath, that means we call upon God to bear witness. We're going to tell the truth, and we ask God to damn us if we deliberately lie. Caiaphas knew what an oath meant. And he knew that Jesus was talking, that's why your Lord and mine spoke. That night he was under oath. He knew what that meant. He knew that he was calling upon his Father to bear witness. And under oath, your Lord and mine, that night before the church said, I am, I swear it, when my Lord that night swore in the name of his God, his heavenly Father, that he was God and that he was the Savior, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe it with all my heart because if I can't believe him under oath then I will have to say that he was the greatest imposter the greatest liar that ever lived and may I say this when the time comes even in the Lutheran church when any minister and I don't care who he is when he can't stand in Christ's pulpit and he can't give positive testimony of that Jesus was the Messiah beyond question and that he was God himself in human form. That man has no business as far as I can see in that book because my Lord under oath swore in the name of his heavenly father that he was God and he was the Messiah. And therefore this question's rather disturbing. The disturbing thing is that the church should be disturbed in this 20th century about a question like this. It ought to be settled forever and ever in the church because that brings up this disturbing question then. Is it important to you and to me that Christ was no less than God. Is is that important to you and me? How important is it? There are those in the church today who say, it is of vital importance that Jesus had to be God. And then there are those that say, uh, it is of very minor importance whether he was deity or not. Again, he was a son of God like we are. But when we study the scriptures, we say, What was the important reason why he had to be God? And this is the answer, and you know it as well as I do, that he came into the world to be our substitute. He came to take your place and mine. If there will have been 1,000 trillion human beings on the face of the earth from the time of Adam to the end of time, that means that Jesus was the substitute for 1,000 Trillion human beings. And then we would say to ourselves, how could one person ever be the substitute for 1,000 trillion persons? You and I would say, why one person isn't worth any more than another person. And yet, may I say this, if God the Father would put Jesus of Nazareth right over here, we'll say, in one corner and would raise up all who will be born, and would put 1,000 trillion of us human beings over here. And you and I tonight would say to God the Father, God the Father, who is of more value? Jesus of Nazareth or 1,000 trillion human beings? Without hesitation, God would say, Jesus! You and I would say, why? He's only one. But God the Father would say, but he's God. He is the uncreated son, and as God, he is of more value than the entire human race. And he had to be. You know, when we think of substitutes, we think of substitutes as being inferior. Margarine is supposed to be inferior to butter because it costs less. Maybe beans are inferior to meat, or hamburgers inferior to the T-bone steak, isn't it? But in this case, when we have a substitute who came to take our place and the place of the entire human race, it was absolutely necessary that he be God. If he wasn't God, then he couldn't be your substitute and mine. He couldn't take your place in mine. Then he failed in his mission. He had to be God because he was the one who said to his heavenly father, you lay on me the guilt and the punishment of the entire human race. And God could do that only for one reason, and that because Jesus was God, he was of more value than the human race. And that brings up the next troublesome question. Was it important that Jesus be the Christ? Is this really an important thing? Was it important that he be deity and that he be the promised Messiah, the promised Savior? And you and I as Christians who accept the word of God, we say, it was of the utmost importance that he be the Messiah. That as God and man who was willing to be our Savior, as the Messiah he fulfilled the plan of God, And he went to Calvary, and he bore our guilt, and he bore our punishment. He bore the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me, and that if he had not been the Messiah, and he had not been deity, there would be no forgiveness, there would be no deliverance from hell, there would be no eternal life for any one of us. And as we stand here tonight and we consider his sufferings and death, The theme, therefore, of all gospel preaching shall be the deity of Jesus Christ and, again, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. He stood before the church that night in his day and he swore to it. This ought to mean to you and me tonight, as we consider again this perplexing and disturbing question, it ought to mean this. If your Lord and mine underwrote the night of his betrayal stood before the church of his day and swore to God that he was deity, that he believed it with all his heart, and that he was the promised Messiah, then you and I, when we accept that, we can say this. There is no more testimony that he could have ever given than what we have, but that he is deity and that he is the Messiah. And then the question comes, How about you and how about me? Is he your God and my God? Is he your Savior and my Savior? May I say, if he isn't, it's not his fault. He has not failed to give us every bit of evidence that we need. Look at Caiaphas. Do you mean to say that Caiaphas didn't know that he was deity? You mean to say that Caiaphas, the high priest, didn't know that he was the Messiah? Sure he did. The Word of God says he didn't turn Jesus down and yell blasphemy and tear his robe because he didn't know that here was God the Son and the Messiah. But we are told that he turned him down because he was envious of him. Caiaphas hated him. Caiaphas hated Jesus with a vengeance. You see, Caiaphas had been appointed to his job as high priest as a political job. And it was quite a racket. The income as the high priest in the temple service and in the, again, the buying and selling was tremendous. And Caiaphas feared that if Jesus were God and were the Savior and got men to follow him, Caiaphas was afraid of his income and afraid of his job. And as we bring it down tonight in your life and mine, just like this. If Jesus is not God in your life and your Savior in mine, it's no fault in him. There is nothing that he has to give us to convince us that he is. Uh, Then we need to look at ourselves and say, what is it in your life or what is it in my life that prevents us from accepting him? Did Jesus something in this life, whatever it is, means more than forgiveness, life, and eternal salvation. Caiaphas knew that the reason was within himself. And what he feared greatly happened soon after he was deposed as high priest and he lost that position. Tonight we look at the question again. Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus says to you and to me tonight, I swear it, friends. I am God himself, the second person. I am the Savior. I have eternal life for you, regardless of whom you are or what you are. If you reject me, it is not that I have failed you. And do you realize what he said to Caiaphas that night when he said, I am? He said, Caiaphas, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God coming in a cloud from heaven. This is what he said, Caiaphas, tonight you're standing as judge, judging me. Caiaphas, we're going to meet again sometime, and when we meet again, it's going to be reversed. You are going to see me seated as judge, coming and seated at the right hand of God in a cloud of heaven, and Caiaphas, you're going to stand before me. God pity that day when at the last day the tables are reversed and Christ shall come in the cloud of heaven and Caiaphas shall stand where Jesus stood and shall be spewed out of the mouth of Jesus Christ oh it means this what is in your life and mine that keep us from Christ Jesus and shall it ever be a mortal man ashamed of thee ashamed of thee whom angels praise whose glory shine through endless days oh may this my glory be uh, that Christ is not ashamed of me I hope that Jesus is not ashamed of me and that he's not ashamed of you. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.